We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Reacting to NFL Week 11 and all the goings-on in what was a tricky week, a difficult week, a week filled with some injuries, a week filled with some explosive plays. There's lots to talk about and break down as we sit here on Monday the 20th of November, heading right towards those playoff times. And it is not that far away, Sean. For us, for example, in the FFPC main event after this week, week 12 will be the last regular season week before it hits the playoffs. I know some people will be in, for example, the Scott Fishbowl. We're getting right into playoff contention at this point. I believe that finishes up this week with the playoffs starting next week. I could be wrong on that, but that is my gut feeling as I, I know I'm right on the, the line there for do I make it in or do I not make it in. But Sean, it was a, a challenging week. We do like to talk about everything on the show whether it's something we were right about wrong about players getting injured different things like that we try and cover it all and this was another week where we've had a couple of these weeks throughout the season where players have gone down and it has been challenging we've talked through it uh, you've talked through it with ben for example on the recap and then we'll talk through it here sometimes we've we've joked initially on the the last couple of weeks that talking through these things on a, a monday and tuesday can also help from a mental aspect so that can help for us for the listeners but Thursday Night Football, Sean, started it all off with Joe Burrow going down. Then we had Mark Andrews going down. But over the course of the last kind of 24 hours, obviously, we have Aaron Jones. We have Devin Achin. We have Cooper Cup, Kenneth Walker. A huge amount of defensive players as well. I know our focus is always on the offensive side of the ball, but a lot of players going down. We had Gino out for a while this week and did come back in, but we'll see what happens with him. Just so many players, a long list. So that is going to be tough for us obviously with a lot of those names on our list but also for people listening to Rotoviz ot it is always that part of hopefully we have the depth hopefully yeah but in certain cases sean that is not always going to be the case the depth may not be there i know that across some of my rosters that these will be kind of the the nail in those teams but as we sit here getting ready for monday night football with what should be you know we it's, they're called primetime matchups this this is legitimately a primetime matchup you get the chiefs you get the eagles should be a fun one should be a lot of fantasy scoring in that but as we sit here getting ready for that what is your outlook as we're for some people listening we would be so close to playoff teams but now it might feel like that is sand slipping through their hands 
Yeah, I mean, this was a hard one to watch. And it always just kind of depends on who you have, right? And I think that the other thing that was tough is just that if you brought a Justin Jefferson team to this point still alive and then he's not active again in week 11 and it just it starts to get really frustrating we have more situations with you know Jefferson or T Higgins like trying to get teams with Higgins into the playoffs where maybe that's a sort of a unique thing at this point because Higgins obviously has been terrible when he's played he's been hurt now his quarterback is out and so the idea of getting him through into the playoffs becomes you know much less meaningful obviously if you drafted a cooper cup team then it's been a really hard season because losing that i mean cooper cup is an absolute superstar and you look at what a lesser version of him has done in puka nakua now that's not to take anything away from puka who i mean I, i've got ranked really really high for you know dynasty and he was amazing again this week so we'll talk about that in a moment but you look at somebody like that when you lose your first round pick it would have scored a ton of points it just it sours the season but then especially if you brought a team with cup and managed to keep it competitive to you know lose him again here in a game you know where you also did play him there's so many situations there where it's so tough i mean for you and me probably the one that stands out the most and is the most gut-wrenching is losing achan and i mean people get hurt you just you have to work around it. It's so tough to that feel like back-to-back -back seasons. I mean, and, and, Brees and Hall was going to be an down. absolute superstar last year, and you lose him when he's going to be like the best pick in fantasy. Each hit was going to be the best pick in fantasy this year, and I mean, he's barely played. Again, it's part of it, but it's not the fun part. And through the years, people who have been saying you no know, zero RB is just an injury-based approach. Number one, it's not, and number two, it's certainly not something where. You know anybody is celebrating injuries we hate this part yeah we, we really do and you mentioned the eight like people will know listening to last week's show there was a lot of excitement for me and for you for some of the best ball rosters we talked about some of the season long that we were getting him back and having him available similar with jefferson and then jefferson wasn't activated hopefully that will happen here for week 12 but yeah just just got rich and you used that word and it is and i hope that people who are listening and if they are in situations hopefully the team is still in good shape hopefully you're still enjoying listening to the shows or watching the games but this week as well the games weren't as good so it was a, a challenge all around but yeah more injuries piling up we'll see over the course of the the next few days how the dust settles in terms of the expectations moving forward but the kenneth walker one as well sean they play obviously on thursday night like the the dolphins as well and that leads to short turnarounds unlikely to be available for that but will they be back for the following weeks and lots of of walker teams in there as well player that we drafted very heavily but let's move into the the games and the sorry the last thing i want to mention on the injuries last year we said it was like a, a quarterback kind of apocalypse for injured quarterbacks this year 11 quarterbacks so far have now lost their starting quarterback for either multiple games and for the season and as i mentioned we are just coming up to the thanksgiving here so you know hopefully we we turn the corner but it, you mentioned players get injured it is such a physical sport we are actually seeing sometimes I, I compare some of the stuff across to soccer soccer at the moment in the premier league in england is seeing kind of record numbers of injuries but again as players become fitter and they're pushing their bodies to the limit and then especially when you get the contact involved in the american football it, it really um 
they, they really do start to stack up but let's move into the game sean we're going to start with sunday night football we're going to go into denver and minnesota this one kind of went down to the wire and a little bit of an unusual game when you're watching it as to how the the broncos have come out on on top here again and got the w as they move through they have kind of turned this season around in a season that i don't necessarily know that they wanted to turn around i think they were quite happy sliding down towards a high draft pick to see what they could do at the quarterback position but russell wilson 259 yards and a touchdown in this one when we look at some of the the big plays one thing they did in this game was they hit on some spectacular plays one of those being the touchdown to Cortland Sutton he has five targets four receptions 66 yards and a touchdown we do get some work here for Jerry Judy but nothing in a major way five for 58 some ICP Ryan heavily involved in the passing game seven for 60 going in his direction we didn't get the Javante Williams explosion that maybe myself and yourself were hoping for but just a, a quiet game all around then on the passing side for minnesota but we do get a rushing touchdown for joshua dobbs has one touchdown one interception 221 yards so kind of an unusual game it feels like looking out of it the broncos now five and five the vikings six and five on the season one note coming out of this is sean we talked about this player a number of times this season that is kareem jackson uh he was suspended a couple of times one for a big hit on logan thomas has been suspended uh for two games and had just returned but no flag on the play this night but the nfl is reviewing a hit on josh dobbs which led to dobbs being in the medical tent for a, a few plays we don't want to see that in the game and it's uh when it happens this amount of times uh, it kind of takes it out of control but what was your thoughts outside of that on this broncos vikings game was there anything that flew under the radar for you well as you mentioned this one was an odd game and it was a very Arthur Smith type of game for the Broncos where there you know, wasn't much in the way of guts in it. There wasn't much in the way of dynamism in it. You're basically trying to stick around and hope something lucky happens, which, which I don't happen. know. If, well, I mean, I don't know that it's lucky so much as a marvelous play by Cortland Sutton. And I mean, we're kind of on the Jerry Judy side of that equation we'd like judy to see more targets he did have a decent game in this one but he fails to make what would have been an impressive touchdown reception now the defender is on him on that play and you know hand probably finger probably grazes the ball anybody who you know has played football in the backyard or played any sports is going to have a sense of just how much more difficult it is to make any type of catch anytime your brain doesn't have a completely clean run to process its own intuitive algorithms and make the play. And so the play that Judy doesn't make is actually very difficult, even though visually there's not that much that's complicated about it. But again, the contrast here where he doesn't make the catch, Cortland Sutton goes up and makes I'm mean, not an extraordinary play, but this is the kind of play that you need from a Cortland Sutton who that's you know, mostly what he's going to give you. It was a pretty rough game, really, for him outside of that play. And yet, I mean, that, that completely and totally redeems it. That's the play that you've got to make. It's sort of funny, too. You watch that ball come out of Russell Wilson's hand, not remotely a spiral. Ben and I talked on the Stealing Bananas episode about some of the struggles Kyler Murray was having, the missed throw he had on fourth down to Trey McBride. Now, this wasn't a great pass, and yet 
Russell Wilson does end up getting the job done. But you look at the overall on it in a game here where you only have 52 plays, where your average on those plays is mediocre. You only have 13 first downs. You only have 25 minutes time of possession. Now, obviously, the time of possession is not something that we point to uh, with that much interest. But you see the stats kind of going down the row, showing you that in many ways the Vikings dominated. And it does then jump out you know, two things about this particular game. One is the three to zero turnover ratio. And this was a week that, I mean, I'll be interested to kind of go through the week and look at it with more time to digest everything. But there were a lot of turnovers and there were a lot of teams that were probably the better team in the game that just had so many turnovers. You're just not going to win, right? There aren't that many possessions in an NFL game. And to commit three turnovers on them. Now, one of these turnovers did occur on the hit from Kareem Jackson. I guess I'm not completely sure about that hit in terms of how bad that it was. It depends a lot on what the NFL is really trying to do, right? Because and this on that one, one, too, the fumble had happened before the hit, if that makes sense. The ball has got knocked out before the hit has happened. So it would still have been a turnover. You'd love to see it, it just. It, <laughs> There's always this tension between the NFL wanting to make the games cleaner and safer and still wanting to have the violent hits because so much of what you're really looking at on these plays is that if you enforce personal foul penalties as they relate to players spearing as opposed to wrapping up, I mean, one of the things that is just very simple here is that if you want to make it more objective, you can just look at whether the player wraps. In a case here where you have the guy drop the helmet, and he doesn't really hit Dobbs in the face. And it almost looks like one where he's getting down and hitting him in the chest. But still, it's just it's a vicious type of hit. And we know that Kareem Jackson is a dirty player. He should have suffered more serious consequences for what he's already done this season. The things that he has done on a football field just really go beyond the pale. It's a, a, a very much Vontez perfect situation if you're going to continue to let players who are out there trying to hurt people play then you're going to get more people hurt and so you kind of have to make that decision from an NFL perspective the other thing that happens in this game is that you get an interesting tension between the Vikings having a ton of guts and the Vikings not having enough guts because the fake punt really gave them momentum and allowed them to continue to hold possession a little bit longer. But then you get down to the end, and this is a game where they're in control, they're in control, they're in control. And by going for, I mean, they are a 14-play, seven-and-a-half-minute drive when they're up 17-15, to 15, and you get down with three minutes left at the Denver 12, and you hand the ball to Alexander Madison, you know that play's going nowhere. You hand the ball to, to Ty Chandler. A lot of his plays have gone nowhere. I mean, he's been very much feast or famine. And then, you know, you get to that third and 10, you try and convert at that point. You just, you'd like to see them be more aggressive as soon as you put yourself in that situation where it's 20 to 15 and the Broncos have to score the touchdown. I mean, this has been <laughs> a game where they have five field goals to this point. And every time that the Broncos got in the red zone, it appeared that they the field goal was like their utmost goal. There was no world in which scoring a touchdown was in their minds. It's like, we're either going to kick a field goal or we're going to move back 
and punt it. Going forward, not something they were considering until you forced them at the end. So you'd like to see a little bit different play calling. One of the things that really jumped out at Colin, one of the things that was a theme of week 11, number one, the turnovers, and then number two, at the end of games, when teams had a chance to put their opponents away on first down, they ran the ball, they got themselves in a bad down and distance situation. They ended up either punting or kicking a field goal, and their opponent in the majority of these cases came back and won the game. Now they're a little bit different with C.J. Stroud. He was aggressive. He threw interceptions, and yet the football gods sort of smiled on that and said, at least you had some guts. We're not going to let the Cardinals come back and beat you. These teams who were not as courageous, they tended to go down in week 11. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is almost the end of 2023. We are coming up to the holiday season. I, for one, am very excited about the holidays as they approach. But it can be a time of the year where you may struggle with seasonal blues. It can be a wonderful time, but it can also be a challenging time. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid the stress and change. Something to look forward to to make you feel grounded. Give you the tools to manage everything going on 2023 was the first year that i tried therapy i started in early 2023 and have continued throughout it's helped me to learn positive coping skills to help me work through the process on a day-to-day basis and to help me process some life events if you're thinking of starting therapy give better help a try it's entirely online designed to be convenient flexible and suited to your schedule just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched to a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge find your bright spot this season with better help visit betterhelp.com slash rotoviz today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash rotoviz we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think it's vital, Sean, in these situations to to have that courage and try and win the game rather than try and be conservative and, and settle for the field goal. When you have the opportunity, particularly when you're inside not just the 20 yard line but you know especially when you're inside the 10 yard line even when it comes to these opportunities to go for it and fourth down i think you've you've got to go ahead and, and do it in these situations and we still see teams kind of cower back from it and i i tend to have a little uh smile to myself when they get punished for it uh, my sympathies aren't always always there in those situations moving on sean to the new york giants the washington commanders this I mentioned the other game being a weird game. This was a kind of a, a weird game as well in terms of how things worked out. Both teams having issues in terms of 
sacks in this game i believe that the washington commander set a record in the first quarter for the the sacks to that particular point of the game they finished the game with nine sacks for 45 yards going against tommy devito sam howell was sacked four times for 26 so not at the high end of his issues but he did have three interceptions in this game 255 passing yards one touchdown three interceptions for howell did have a rushing touchdown three for 35 and one on the ground for him and does take a couple of big hits on that rushing touchdown one of them being kind of after you know when we look at protecting players particularly the quarterback when you know when he's in for a rushing touchdown maybe we don't let him get an absolutely you know devastating hit over by the, the pylon trying to get in for a second time when he's already in there but brian robinson seven 17 for 73 on the ground also a bit like we talked about last week the running backs being targeted more often at the moment by sam howell but we didn't have antonio gibson so we get nine targets for brian robinson seven receptions 58 yards eight targets for logan thomas five for 58 and then mclaurin the next up with seven targets five for 43 dotson does get in the end zone with a touchdown three target or three receptions 23 yards for him on the other side though sean tommy devito an interesting guy i guess there's a lot of conversations around you know his kind of I guess personal situation living at home a lot of talk around uh you know getting his bed made for him and so on i don't really care about any of that but he does uh have three passing touchdowns in this and a couple of those pretty pretty nice i mentioned in the game last week where they get blown out by the cowboys he did have a nice pass to the corner of the end zone for a touchdown in that one as well but uh this game led by obviously he has three passing touchdowns but saquon barkley is the story of the game here 14 rushes 83 yards but also five targets, four receptions, 57 yards, and two touchdowns for him. Darius Slayton getting the other touchdown, five targets, four receptions, 82 yards in this contest. So I guess, and I've mentioned this a few times, I said a couple of weeks ago, Sean, when you were on your travels, I believe it was on the show uh, with Blair, where I said, it doesn't look like Saquon Paul Barkley has that explosiveness in his legs. You know, we had picked up a few injuries at the start of the season and, um, yeah, I, I came out recently and said that that was wrong and i'm going to say again uh it was wrong he he was quite good this week he wasn't good he was amazing right and you see a player of that size make some of the moves that he makes in this game and it was just you know play in and play out and you wonder where it's been i mean one of the things with the nfl and you know the fairness to both the players and the coaches is that you have 11 different moving pieces on each side you have a relatively limited number of plays in each game you have you know an amount of time to practice that makes all of this difficult and i the sample sizes lead us to these snap judgments and yet i think when you watch this game it is one where the thing we've been complaining about for this offense for the last year and a half since Brian Dable came over is where are the passes to Saquon Barkley. Now, part of that could be the QB because this pass that Tommy DeVito throws to Saquon Barkley on the first touchdown is pretty unreal. I mean, a lot of people are going to say it's the normal pass that you make in that situation, but the route from Saquon to beat his coverage, to get into the corner of the end zone, for DeVito to get the ball there before the safety comes over, it's a diving reception as the safety is laying the hit on as you know, basically double coverage. When you're going to beat double coverage as the running back, the QB threads the needle. The runner actually makes the reception 
you know, 30 yards down the field, there are running backs who can make those plays, right? But it's not necessarily the same type of expectation there that you would have for an elite wide receiver. I mean, it was an absolute gorgeous play. It was one of the best plays of the weekend. It was one of the best plays of the year. They come back and execute another very impressive touchdown later to really put the commanders in trouble. And then on top of that, he has a, a beautiful game as a rusher, including a 36-yard game where, again, that explosiveness that you referenced was very, very clear. You can understand why he wanted to hold out and not just accept you know, the type of contract that a fading running back would get. You can understand why they went ahead and paid him, even though that has been out of style for running backs. Saquon Barkley, a big decision maker. They've got some playmakers on this team. The coaching staff has to do a better job. I mean, Daniel Jones has to be better. You know that here with Tommy DeVito, he was atrocious last week. He takes nine sacks in this game. Some of that is the play calling in the scheme. Some of it is the atrocious offensive line. Some of it is the fact that Washington very clearly said, you know, we don't care if you beat us. And then he did beat him with some long strikes. The play to uh, Darius Slayton, who, I mean, Darius Slayton might have been in line for a massive game if he doesn't go out in this one and it is sort of a humorous play we know that the commanders have traded away a lot of their defensive talent you're not going to see too many plays in an nfl game where a receiver gets a one-on-one -on -one against a defensive back after the catch and shemmy just passed him jukes him so completely and totally to where it's just air that you get on that one it's a good reminder that darius slayton for all his issues actually catching the ball is a freak athlete and there maybe still is some scenario in the future where he ends up on a team you know maybe a a wide receiver needy team like the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, you don't know where he might eventually be. It doesn't seem like the New York Giants are really the perfect place for him. But athletically, he's impressive. We know that they have some other guys where athletically they're impressive. You can still squint and see an interesting future for some members of this Giants team. It does seem like it needs to be with a new coaching staff, maybe with a new quarterback, all of those types of things. I think that the other issues or the other things going on in this game really do come on the other side of the ball where yes you get some more sacks for sam howell yes you get an interception one of the th you get three interceptions including the one at the end to seal the game a pick six and a lot of how you see sam howell in this game is going to depend on number one i think your aesthetics and you know we tend to believe that's not really an issue but it does come into play and then number two what you think about a QB's role in competing in the second half of these games versus kind of protecting their stat line and showing that you don't make mistakes. Is it more important to not make mistakes or is it more important to compete? You know, Ben made some good points on stealing bananas about Aaron Rodgers and his unwillingness to compete at the end of the games, his unwillingness to throw these picks when his team needs a quarterback to compete. Now, obviously Aaron Rodgers is a competitor. Obviously he's a great player. You as a huge Aaron Rodgers fan have made those points about Aaron Rodgers in the past where his unwillingness to challenge late in games has been brought up as something that's probably the one area where he could actually get better. Obviously we look at Sam Howell with rose colored glasses because we have a lot of him. He's one of our key players. It's a disappointing game for them overall. It's disappointing that Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, even though Dotson, you know, arguably saves a tiny part of his game because he does score the touchdown but those guys are not nearly involved enough and yet one of the things that happened in this game is that passes to 11 11 different receivers in this game yeah i don't i don't really care for that i think that you need to get your main guys involved enough that they feel like they're a key part of it 
mean, you could talk. Uh, the, the main thing with Tyreek Hill, don't don't get me wrong at all. The main thing with Tyreek Hill is that he is an extraordinary superstar. And if you had Tyreek Hill, he would be involved, right? And yet he thrives on being the star and thrives on being so involved in the game. And you look at someone like a Terry McLaurin here, you know, seven targets, that's not the end of the world. There were guys who got less. I mean, Marquise Brown, one of the problems with the Arizona Cardinals offense the last couple of games that he has not been involved. You Most people probably argue that Terry McLaurin is still considerably better than Marquise Brown. And if you want him to carry your team in big moments, if you want to feel like you can go down and win these games at the end, the guys who are the playmakers have to have been involved enough in the game that they also feel that, that they feel like they're dominating their opposite number. If you don't use them, they're not going to feel that, right? But the big thing that happens in this game is that the Washington skill players acted like holding onto the ball was completely and totally irrelevant. Every time that you get down into, you know, inside the 30, inside the 20, Logan Thomas fumbles early on when the commanders are trying to take control of the game. You get a fumble by Byron Pringle. You get a fumble by Chris Rodriguez. All of those are lost. You also get a fumble by Brian Robinson that really looked like it was going to be lost. It's sort of a miracle that they recovered that one. If you're moving the ball down the field and your defense is getting all of these sacks and then you continue to... I mean, one of the things about the interceptions is that the quarterbacks have a really, really tough job and you need to balance the risk and reward and you need to have the willingness to attack and occasionally make some mistakes. Now, you can say on... Well, even on that pick six, Sean, it's a good play by the defender who then takes it back for the touchdown, but it's a little bit like, for example, um, the play that we've seen last week by George Kittle or we've seen Travis Etienne score a similar touchdown a couple of weeks ago where... It's one of those balls that it could go the distance either way. And that throw is not that far away from being a touchdown going the way of the Washington Commanders. And you, you have to make it, right? I mean, oh, you have you're to down it, to the yes. end of the game. You have to attack. You have to throw. And and he's been willing to do that. And it would be interesting to know what the internal evaluation is. You certainly hear the commanders saying, we think we got our guy. I mean, they should be saying that publicly, even if they don't believe that. They're throwing the ball a lot. It's hard to believe that if you don't like Sam Howell, you would give him this many chances to throw it every week. Well, they're not trying to hide him anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> not trying to hide him. And you think that they have to love his competitiveness. And including one of the things that we talked about was, I mean, I really thought that he was going to be a factor as a runner. Now, not necessarily score a ton of fantasy points, but just enough that it really helps you. Scored a little bit last week. He gets three carries, 35 yards, and a touchdown this week. I mean, his game in this one, even though he throws 45 times, the fantasy score was predicated on those 35 rushing yards and that rushing touchdown. That part of it was huge. It's a bad game without that. And so that part is something we talked about. We're starting to see, and I think gives him even more of a floor and even more of a ceiling, right? If you've got a guy who's going to scramble some and is a threat to occasionally score a rushing touchdown and throws at the rate that he's throwing, I mean, that's a huge fantasy weapon, even in games where things really don't go the way that you want. The other thing that I would say here is that I mean, we've criticized Kareem Jackson. We certainly criticize late hits and dirty plays. I love the fact that the commanders stand up for their quarterback. At the same time, I don't really blame the Giants for anything on that play. Now, maybe it's a situation where down on the field, you've got the whistles. Everybody knows the play is over. But I mean, Sam Howell, if he broke the plane, he grazed it there on the initial run. He's still trying to score the touchdown. I mean, the Giants players are still trying to keep him from scoring the touchdown. Nothing about that looked egregious. And while I can understand the commanders coming over there, you certainly 
understand what the Giants are trying to do. They're trying to present, prevent a touchdown. And so, I mean, that play just is one that, you know, you have in these situations where you have a lot of competitors and you certainly don't want to see a QB get hurt. When Sam Howell is lying there on the ground, I mean, your heart is in your throat because I mean, that's an absolute dagger if he goes out. It, 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 is that the way that, that you saw it? as well there i mean you've got to try and stop the quarterback from scoring you have to try and stop the quarterback from scoring but when we're in a situation where and this is one of those plays where it's unique where you bounce at the line and then you're still trying to make it in it doesn't happen that often that it happens in this particular sequence of events so i can see why it's happened but you know it's been signaled as a touchdown at, at that point you know if there's plays where somebody's held up let's say for forward progress the whistles are you can clearly hear the whistles but there was not a whistle on this play the play like you know the the process it didn't click there was a few gaps in it from a different angle so i think they could have avoided him taking that second hit and it was okay that he passed any tests that were done for concussions for example he doesn't seem to have any injuries from it but the but is you know we don't want the game to be non-contact but you also don't want quarterbacks taking crazy shots it could end up with severe injuries and the other part of that is then curtis samuel you mentioned it was good that the team went over and that's fair enough but you also have to do it within reason and curtis samuel got himself uh, ejected after that kind of uh, part of the, the scuffle but the other part sean on this is i think this is a game where if you look at the box score you're gonna be like well that wasn't very good but i think when you watch it again there is those special throws in there you mentioned the competitiveness and i mentioned that the actual last interception that turns out to be a pick six could have been a, a touchdown the way of Sam Howell and the Commanders. There is still a huge amount of positives in it when you watch the game itself to take away outside of what may look like a, a disappointing box score. Yeah, and the one place here where they kind of got away from what they do and lost the game is, I mean, they were starting to run the ball pretty effectively. And I'm sure there are lots of people out there who want them to run more brian robinson was fantastic in this one i mean a lot of what you're looking for for brian robinson is to just get the yards that are blocked and to just fight for a few additional yards to just be solid in the passing game and i mean i would think as a listener that some people are going to say well how is that different than the criticism that you have for a joe mixon or an alexander madison some players like that and one of the things that we saw um and we've talked enough about madison i've actually flipped and i'm rooting for madison to make some plays at this point because he's had such a rough season i don't think that he's even doing that joe mixon generally does do that the difference is that joe mixon continues to go really early in drafts whereas brian robinson was going uh, it was going behind his own backup in an offense that seemed like they would score some points I thought he looked very dynamic in this game as opposed to just a guy who's going to get what's there. And so that part, if you're a Brian Robinson fan or fantasy manager, or if you're the Washington commanders and you're looking to the future, I think they've got to be really excited about how he played. I did think that it was weird after they get the field goal to go down or to get back to 14, 12, then they force the quick punt. They come out and three of the first four plays are running plays I should say for the first five plays and the fifth play is a Rodriguez carry where he fumbles. And this again is on the back of some other fumbles. And then the giants score the touchdown off of that to go at 21, 12. Yeah. I mean, you're running the ball somewhat effectively, but let's not get away from the game plan there. 
of course, obviously on the next drive, they do throw an interception. And also, I think it's fair to point out that beyond the actual picks, there was another very easy pick that was dropped by the Giants. So there are still passes Sam Howell's throwing to the opposing team. We're going to have to get through that if he's going to emerge as a top 10 NFL reality QB, which I really believe is a lot more the question than whether he sticks as a starter. Colin, we have another question about a QB sticking as a starter. We got both the good and the bad from Geno Smith on Sunday, and we also got the weird from Drew Locke, which we know is what we're generally going to get from him. Yeah, so we definitely got the weird, Sean. So you're setting this up as Drew Locke taking over from Geno Smith? Is that where it's not not what I have in my mind? No, I mean, Drew Locke throws six passes. He gains three yards. He throws an interception. All of that is exactly what you're expecting from him. But these games are so hard to watch because the Seahawks have so much talent, and yet Geno Smith is like, I'm going to make the weakest possible play over and over, and then you get the injury and Drew Locke comes in and instantly you get two down the field targets to JSN. And you're like, if Drew Locke can see him open down the field, as opposed to behind the line of scrimmage, which is the only place that Gino will ever throw to him. Why can the starting quarterback not find it? Because as soon as they put Gino back in, because you can't keep playing Drew Locke, regardless of how injured Gino is, it's right back to DK. It's right back to Tyler Lockett. Those guys are good. Those guys are the starters. It's almost certainly just the case that I want something to happen that is not going to so happen the thing in is that 2023. But Colin, it's 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 heartbreaking to immediately get the backup. He instantly finds your guy down the field twice, and both passes exactly like you expect are so inaccurate that they're not going to be completed even though he found him open. I was going to say, so what you're saying is Drew Locke can see he's there, but he can't complete the passes. So that is that is a major issue. And then one of the other ones was a deep shot to Tyler Lockett, which turned into the interception. And and on that one, if he sets Tyler Lockett up to catch that as he runs, that, that's just going to go to the house. So yeah, Drew Locke did not uh, look good here. But Geno Smith, Sean, has had issues. I, I don't think we're at any point uh, near a change here unless... Gino misses time. It was a tricep injury. He was on the sideline for for those plays, and uh, he came back in for that final drive uh, as the Seahawks lose sixteen to seventeen to the Rams. Sean, we should just say this was just another weird game. Um, in this one, we have Matthew Stafford taking an absolutely colossal hit at one point in it, but he has one hundred and ninety passing yards and thirty one attempts, only completes seventeen of them, one touchdown, one interception. Stafford could have had a second touchdown, a, a deep pass to Cooper Cup, where Cup kind of gets turned around a little bit by himself and kind of loses track of the ball, loses his foot, and goes incomplete. So, would have been a maybe a trickier catch than I'm I'm giving him credit for, but could have been a, a TD there, which would have changed the day. That was negated by penalty on Seattle, so it was a you know five yards forward. It just shows up as a non-target for Cup in the box score, but it was a, a pretty big one during the course of the game. You mentioned Nakua earlier, Sean. He has seven targets, five receptions, 70 yards, and one touchdown. A lot of this game going through him. And then on the other side, you know, DK Metcalf does have a few big catches in this. He has a 53-yard completion, nine targets, five receptions, 94 yards, one touchdown going his way. I th- JSN, it felt like this was going to kick off to be a bigger day the way things started out with six targets, three receptions. 40 yards, two of those targets, obviously, Sean, as you mentioned already, going from Cooper Cup. And unfortunately, Kenneth Walker goes down early in this game. 
uh, with just the four carries at the time. That means Charbonnet has 15 carries for 47 yards and then has six targets, six receptions for 22 yards. So quite an efficient outing then for uh, Charbonnet while he is in there in that lead role. This was a game where the Seahawks, a bit like you were talking about, I think have a chance to kind of try and end this one and they, they don't get it done. Yeah, and the difficult thing in this game, if you're a Ken Walker manager, is just that he goes out after flashing a little bit in the early going. But this is also 100% why Zach Charbonnet was on the zero RB candidates countdown, even though there was a, a lot of joking about how he was the most reluctant inclusion ever. You can see the profile here where once you get down to the one running back, that Charbonnet's fantasy profile is absolutely perfect, right? You get the six receptions. They only go for the 22 yards, but just getting those six catches is obviously the equivalent of a touchdown. Those eight points in the passing game, any given play could have broken. And then you have, you know, additional three, four points, maybe you have an additional touchdown on there. You love to see that volume. He's the downhill running threat. You do get the impression that even though Ken Walker has scored a bunch of touchdowns this season, and that has not been the case for Charbonnet, that they perhaps even prefer him in these short yardage situations because he's going to take it and he's going to you know, run downhill, as people like to say. Now, the 15 for 47, the issue that you have here is that Charbonnet is not the same caliber of big play threat, and he doesn't open up the offense in the way that walker does but i do think that he's very clearly one of the top two or three backups in the nfl so this doesn't change the offense that much and one of the things that's a little bit frustrating for me and i think it does actually go back to this idea that we talked about with the receivers in washington and just kind of across the board as well to where if you want them to be the guy and to make the big plays for you in the crucial moments they need enough work to feel like they are that player and so I kind of think that the Seahawks offense will be more effective when it's either almost exclusively Walker, which we got at the beginning of the season, and then we had worked into a committee that was awkward and didn't seem to be working. I do think the offense probably takes a step forward if it's mostly Zach Charbonnet here. Now, the problem is if you start to lose then a number of plays to a DJ Dallas or a lesser back, then that creates some potential problems for you. But Charbonnet now looks to me like at the very least a low-end RB1, if not, say, the running back, you know, six, seven, eight type of player, even though, again, this particular performance in your first chance to get really big work, you know, is probably disappointing to people. The, the thing here with the Seahawks is that they do get DK Metcalf unlocked. The 594 and one is great for him. He was down the field. He was underneath. He had the 53-yard completion. You'd love to see that for them. But this game is a good example of how you can get too confident in your kicker when your kicker is on fire and he's crushing all of these long field goals that look like they'd be good from 60 or 65 because you get down to the end of this game and the Seahawks have a chance to run one more play and gain the necessary yardage to make this a reasonable field goal for Jason Myers and they don't do that and they make him pick a 55-yard field goal to win which he just barely misses. That's completely and totally on the coaching staff who doesn't understand probabilities and is not using that last play to get him. It's not a matter of field goal range. It's a matter of field goal probability, and you've got to give your guy the best shot. 
The coaches lost this game at the end, and that's a brutal loss. The Seahawks cannot afford to be giving games away to a struggling team like the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I would agree 100% with that. Now, this could really come back, you know, might not, but come that final wildcard spot, for example, this might come back to really haunt the Seahawks with how they played out the final stretch of this game. Sean, we will probably get to some of these additional games when we do our Tuesday edition, or which will come out on Wednesday. But a few numbers to, to run through here just as we finish things up. And we have touched on Tank Dell. We've touched on CJ Stroud and Nico Collins over the last couple of weeks. But over the last three weeks, he has up to 11.7 targets per game. He has four touchdowns and he has 25.8 PPR points per game in that time. So I think you know we, we've talked a few times about is it cj stroud is it the players but it's pretty pretty exciting i'm sure for houston texans fans out there it is you've mentioned rashad white on a few of the recent shows he has scored at least 15.9 ppr points in each of his last six games so not not a lot happening in the running game there but a lot happening uh, in the receiving game for rashad white the clear lead back now for the buccaneers although they did come up short this week Jill Warren at 129 yards rushing as he cements that spot as the starter. Najee Harris has hit that mark just once in his entire career. Colin, I mean, did I misunderstand? You have a better sense than I. You are on Twitter. You are following all of the scuttlebutt on all of these key players. I was under the impression that the starter should get more touches. No. Well, I mean, the starter should get more touches, but also this is like a weird participation trophy kind of thing or a thing where like not a career achievement, obviously, but like we're going to recognize how well you played in the last game by telling the media that you are the starter. And then on the first drive, which just happens to be a three and out, it's going to be Nashi Harris for one yard. And on the second drive where we go five and out, the second and four carry goes to Najee Harris. I mean, if you don't get... Now, he does have a catch on that second drive, but the third carry of the game is, again, to start the third drive, Najee Harris up the middle. If you don't get a carry until the third drive in the second quarter, I don't understand what starting status means. I mean, this is one where... I think this is Sean. This is one that we're never going to understand. Well, we understand. It's just that he's still not really the starter. But it's unfortunate for the Steelers. The Steelers have all of these weird stats where their team can, is. Can actually we say he's the good. better running back? Can we well, at least say that? Yeah, I mean he's the better running back. If you're the Pittsburgh Steelers and you're winning all of these games that you shouldn't win, and you're also facing the Cleveland Browns, who are winning games that they probably shouldn't win, but they have a ferocious defense and they have, you know, one of the more impressive head coaches and you're Mike Tomlin and you always have a winning record and your team is always the more macho physically tougher team. And you have Jalen Warren. I mean, you got to win this game with Jalen Warren. You can't lose this one. They did lose this one. Uh, the next one up is uh, Calvin Ridley, and we talked, Sean, I kind of mentioned it in passing, like, without Zay Jones, what is the situation? Is he the kind of the sauce to make this offense work? And Calvin Ridley, in three games this season where Zay Jones has played, has eight catches, 101, one touchdown, seven catches, one, two, two, seven catches, 102, and two touchdowns. So 
24 points, 20 points, 31 points in terms of his fantasy outlets. And the games without him, Ridley is under 15 points, one touchdown <laughs> and one game over 40 receiving yards. So there, there may uh, there may be something to say. Not that Zay Jones is getting all the production for the offense, but whatever is happening with him out there with Calvin Ridley. The other two notes, Sean, are... are You're making the argument that a defense cannot, you just simply cannot take away both Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley. It cannot be done. I don't know what the point I'm making, Sean. I just feel like I I mentioned something in passing last week and then this happened this week and I feel like I just wanted to uh, mention it. But uh, there's something there. There's definitely something there. uh, Maybe, like, you know, Christian Kirk's in there too. Let's give Christian Kirk his credit. But the other part of it is... is He doesn't seem to factor into these stats you're giving us. you, You just can't give the... You can't give the ball to Travis Etienne either. That's another important part of that that statistic. But the statistic to move into now is Tony Pollard had four catches in week 11. It's the first time he's gotten four receptions since week six. He also scored a touchdown, his first touchdown since week one. So Tony Pollard drafters out there will be pleased to see him make it into the end zone, which was pretty a pretty nice run. But the Cowboys note that I wanted to mention, Sean, is Deron Bland had his fourth pick six of the season in this contest. Ties the all-time record for pick sixes in the season, so still plenty of time for him to go ahead and break that record. But on a sad note, Sean, that is now the same number of touchdown receptions this season as Kyle Pitts has in his entire career. So that is not positive. Well, it's not positive because I do get the impression that you are not speaking exclusively of like games that have occurred. This is like backward and forward-looking for Kyle Pitts potentially potentially and the the my main thing was i was wondering if we could get bland tight end el- eligibility moving forward for the rest of the season that's what i was really thinking of he's he's been hot the dallas cowboys are playing a minor league schedule and if you play a minor league schedule your defense when it's of this caliber is going to rock and roll in quite a few games column it just it really is absurd who they are playing <laughs> it uh We've talked from time to time about the fact that this season, a little bit more than some others, you get these huge splits in the quality of opponent. The Dallas Cowboys have been the beneficiaries, and to their credit, in the vast majority of those games, they have taken advantage. They are not trying to sneak out field goal victories. When they play minor league teams, they win by three or four touchdowns. They win by major scores. Uh, the other part then, Brees Hall, Sean, we're looking at positives. And I want to finish with a, you can tell me if the last thing's going to be a positive or a negative. Brees Hall, though, is averaging 18.1 PPR points over the last six games. So that is not bad in terms of the situation that he finds himself in. But that situation is going to change on Thursday Night Football. As wide recording this, Sean, the Jets have announced that Tim Boyle will be starting quarterback here moving forward positive or a negative is it possible to be more of a negative than the zach wilson experience no it's not and just being able to move off of that and get a little bit of relief for all the players involved will help i don't think that tim boyle is the answer but you do and in the first couple of games could be as bad or worse but you think about tommy devito for example and what he gave to the giants in this past week where a lot of negative plays again you have all of those sacks but does unlock a handful of their playmakers at crucial moments if you could even get that type of performance from the jets qb it would be a big deal for those individual players you love to hear that and again it's not something of of rooting for zach wilson to fail and i do think that someone with that much physical talent has a chance to be a geno smith or 
a Ryan Fitzpatrick where when they're in their 30s and they've hung around at the NFL for a decade, that maybe they can get some things done. But I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's not fair to him. It's certainly not fair to his teammates. Fairness probably doesn't come in for fantasy managers or fans as much, but it's not fun, right? It's not a good product. And so from that perspective, it's great that the Jets are going to go in a different direction here. And from the Brees Hall point, it's remarkable what he's done if you know fantasy managers want to see where Ben and I think he's going to go in 2024 first rounds. We had a fun time talking about that on our recent episodes of Stealing Bananas. Those are out and again, kind of a fun exercise. Yeah, Sean and Ben did on Friday's episode, round one. On we did a bonus episode that came out on Saturday. That was round two or Thursday and Friday. My days are all mixed up here, but the two episodes are out and available on the Stealing Bananas podcast feed. So check that out. But Sean, Tim Boyle, you know, you like to take shots at Aaron Rodgers from time to time. We've joked about, you know, Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, all the Packers that have been signed over there to the Jets. Former Packer Tim Boyle. Not holding out huge optimism, Sean, but the, the they had to make a change. Uh, they had to do something. Colin, there's a, a limited amount of talent that you're going to be able to grab when you're only willing to take castoffs from one other NFL team as opposed to the other 31. That is true. That is true. So... We'll see what happens, but we do have Monday Night Football coming up. We have the Chiefs. We have the Eagles. We'll see what happens there. Hopefully, if you're in a close match or you need points from a certain scenario, hopefully that works out for you on Monday Night Football. You get a Colin, what are your predictions? 11. Who are we going to get? Who's I'm going not, off? No, no, What's the no, final no, score? No, no, no predictions. Every time we predict, Sean, we say that there's going to be a huge amount of points. There's going to be great fantasy outcomes, and it never happens. So I'm going to say that it's going to be 10-7 to the, the Eagles. With uh, Jalen Hart's one-yard uh, rushing touchdown after DeAndre Swift gets taken down at the one-yard line, just some reverse psychology on the universe. I I do like that. I'm gonna go 38-35. Wow, Harrison it. Bucker with a 60-yard field goal as time expires to get some of those Harrison Bucker teams across the line. Calling those 60-yard field goals are the equivalent of a touchdown. Are they going to make the decision to kick it from 60? Or, or like, is there going to be time left? Or could they run more plays? Or are they just going to, you know, there's going to be first down, you know, 60 seconds left to go, and they're just going to decide to kick the 60-yard field goal? How, how Final is... play. I mean, you're risking the Eagles returning it all the way. You're risking that blocked field goal for a return touchdown. If you've got Eagles, special teams, defense in there, I mean, that's your shot. Could go either direction. Yeah, if we can finish off with an average, so if, if it's not my boring prediction and it's not your like all time, that's basically the, the actually that's basically last year's Super Bowl that you've you've talked about there. 150 yards for <laughs> Devontae Smith, 150 yards for AJ Brown, 150 yards. John's jinxed and the whole three thing. Three scores for DeAndre Swift. I really don't know how the Chiefs are going to keep up with that because they have zero good players beyond Travis Kelsey, but maybe Column. It's a Rishi Rice night. I mean, are you willing to even whisper it? Are we going to get the Rasheed Rice breakout? We've gotten some snaps for him in some games. We've gotten some routes. He's gotten some touchdowns early, and the Chiefs are like, okay, that's good. Let's Rockman not overly stress him. If he scored a first-quarter touchdown, <laughs> let's make sure we get targets to McCall Hardman and the fourth and fifth and sixth-string wide receiver. Tonight, double-digit targets for Rasheed Rice. He breaks two after the catch. I'm not saying touchdowns, but – 12 targets and two of these targets are going to be plays where he breaks it breaks the tackle long run 
I've been for people just listening on the podcast. I've been nodding my head as a no over and back for probably the last thirty-five seconds as Sean went through that. I did say Rishi Rice's name, Sean. I may have cursed it, but I, I after the bye, it's going to happen. Tonight's the night. Hopefully, it is. But that'll do us, Sean, for the first episode of Road of His Overtime of the week. Hopefully, people have enjoyed it. We will be back with the second edition, which. As I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, it's a Wednesday edition, but it does sometimes sneak its way out on a Tuesday late afternoon Eastern time. So make sure you're subscribed to the Road of His Overtime podcast feed. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtomorrow. And my co-host is Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work up on roadofhis.com. Until next time, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime and Road of His Radio. Please rate and review the Road of His Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at roadofhisradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Road of His with a discount through the Road of His Radio homepage, roadofhis.com forward slash podcast.